Hello, welcome back to another session of The Perfect Puzzle. Uh, we are in Psalm 23, verse 5. This is going to be the second session. Uh, there's a lot of information in this session, so I may wind up being a three sessions just on this verse. But we are in uh, the second part of that verse where it says, where David says, you anoint my head with oil. So, Father, thank you again for this opportunity to teach your word. I ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would enable me to, to teach your followers and your children that your words would be received with an open heart, mind, spirit, soul, and body. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You anoint my head with oil. Psalm 23, verse 5. As you meditate on, on this poem, it's helpful to keep in mind that the poet is recounting the most notable events of the full year in a sheep's life. He takes us with him from the home ranch where every need is carefully supplied by the owner, out into the green pastures, along the still waters, up through the mountain valleys to the high tablelands of summer. Out here now, it, where it would appear the sheep are in a lofty, peaceful setting on the high meadows where there are clear running springs, where the forage is free and tend, fresh and tender, where there is the intimate contact with the shepherd, suddenly we find a fly in the ointment, so to speak. In the terminology of the shepherd, summertime is fly time. Now by this reference is made to the hordes of insects that emerge with the advent of warm weather. Only if you've kept livestock or studied wildlife habits or grew up on a farm or something of that sort can you be aware of the serious problems for animals that are presented by insects in the summer. To name just a few parasites that trouble sheep and make their lives a misery, warble flies, bot flies, heel flies, nasal flies, deer flies, black flies, mosquitoes, gnats, and any number of other minute winged parasites that seem to proliferate in the summer. They attack animals and they can readily turn the golden summer months into time of torture for sheep and drive them to distraction. Now sheep are especially troubled by the nasal fly, or nose fly as it's sometimes called. These little flies buzz about the sheep's head. What they're trying to do is deposit their eggs on the damp mucous membranes of the sheep's nose. If they are successful, in only a few days the eggs will hatch to form small, slender, worm-like larvae. These larvae work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head, and they burrow into the flesh, and there they set up in an intense irritation is accompanied by severe inflammation. Now for relief from this agonizing annoyance, sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, posts, or brush. They'll rub them in the dirt, thrash around against woody growth. In extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself in a frenzied attempt to gain respite from the aggravation. Often advanced stages of, of infection from these flies will lead to the sheep going blind. Now because of this, 
When the nose flies hover around the flock, some of the sheep become frantic with fear. They panic in their attempt to get away from the flies. They'll stamp their feet, race from place to place in the pasture, trying desperately to get away from the flies. Some may run so much that they just drop from just being sheer, sheerly exhausted. Others toss their heads up and down for hours. And they'll hide in any bush or woodland that offers shelter. And on some occasions, they may even refuse to graze in the open at all. Now, all this excitement and distraction has a devastating effect on the entire flock. Ewes and lambs rapidly begin to drop in weight. Uh, the uh, ewes will stop giving milk and their lambs will stop growing. Some sheep will be injured in their headlong rushes of panic. Others may be blinded and some even killed outright. You know, only the strictest attention to the behavior of the sheep by the shepherd can the difficulties of fly time be allevi alleviated. At the first sign of flies among the flock, he'll mix an antidote of oil, sulfur, and tar and apply it to their heads. This uh, almost immediately creates an incredible transformation in the sheep. Once it's applied to the sheep's head, there's an immediate change in behavior. Gone is the aggravation, the frenzy, the irritability, and restlessness. Instead, the sheep will start to feed quietly, then soon lie down in peaceful contentment. Now, to me, this is the exact picture of irritations in my own life. You know, it's really easy for there to be a fly in the ointment of even my most lofty spiritual experiences. So often it's the small petty annoyances that ruin my rest. It's the niggling little distractions that become burning issues uh, can well just about drive me around the bend or up the wall. At times there's some tiny tantalizing thing torments me to the point where I feel I'm just beating my brains out. It's my behavior in that as a child of God degenerates to a most disgraceful sort of frustrated, you know, just, just frustration. Just as with sheep, there must be a continuous and renewed application of oil to forestall the flies in my life. There has to be a continuous anointing of God's gracious spirit, God's Holy Spirit, to counteract the aggravations of personality conflicts. Only one application of oil, sulfur, and tar wasn't enough for the sheep for the entire summer. It's a process that had to be repeated over and over. And the fresh application was the effective antidote. Now, there are those who contend that in the Christian life, you only need to have a single initial anointing of God's Spirit. Yet, the frustrations of daily life demonstrate that one must have him come continuously to your mind and heart to counteract the attacks of our tormentors. And it's a practical and intimate matter between myself and Jesus Christ. In Luke 11:13, Christ himself urges us to ask for the Holy Spirit to be given to us by the Father. Now it's both a logical and legitimate desire for us to have the daily anointing of God's Holy Spirit upon our minds. You know, God alone can form in us the mind of Christ. And the Holy Spirit alone can give to us the attitudes of Christ. 
The Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to react to aggravations and annoyances with quietness and calmness. You know, when people or circumstances uh, beyond our control tend to bug us, it's possible to be content and serene when these outside forces are counteracted by the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And Romans 8, 1 and verses 1 and 2, we're told plainly, it is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that makes us free from the law of sin and death. And it's this daily anointing of God's Holy Spirit upon my mind, which produces in my life the personality traits, joy, contentment, love, patience, gentleness, and peace. You know, it's a con- what a contrast that is to the temper, frustration, and irritableness which mar the daily conduct of so many of God's children. What I do in any given situation is... Talk to Jesus about it. He's my owner, Christ Jesus. And say simply, Lord, I've got all these petty, annoying, peevish little problems and I can't cope with them. Apply the oil of your spirit to my mind. You know, get in at the conscious and subconscious levels of my thought life and enable me to act and react just as you would. You know what the funny thing about that is? He will do just exactly that. And it'll surprise you how promptly he complies with with such a request if you make it in deadly earnest. But summertime for the sheep is more than just fly time. It's also scab time. Now scab is an irritating and highly contagious disease that's common among sheep all, all over the world. It's called by a minute microscopic parasite in it that proliferates in warm weather. Scab spreads throughout a flock by direct contact between infected and non-infected animals. You know, sheep love to rub heads in an affectionate and friendly manner. And that's where scab is most, often, most commonly found, around the head. Two sheep rub together and it spreads from one to the other sheep. In the Old Testament, when it was declared that the sacrificial lamb should be without blemish, the actual thought uppermost was that the animal should be free of scab. In a very real and direct sense, scab is symbolic of contamination, of sin, and of evil, just as leprosy was symbolic of sin in the Old Testament. Again, as with flies, the only effective antidote is to apply linseed oil, sulfur, and other chemicals that can control scab. And in many sheep-rearing countries, uh, they build dips, and the entire flock is put through the dip, where each animal is completely submerged in it till its entire body is soaked. Now, the hardest part to do is the head. The head has to be plunged under repeatedly to ensure that scab on the head will be controlled. Now, some shepherds take great care to treat the the head by hand. That is precisely what David meant when he wrote, You anoint my head with oil. It's the only antidote for scab. Now, it should be mentioned here that in Israel, the old remedy for scab was olive oil mixed with sulfur and spices. That home remedy served equally well in a case of flies that came to annoy the flocks. 
And in the Christian life, most of our contamination by the world, by sin, by that which would which would uh, defile us or disease us or spiritually uh, comes through our minds. It's a case of mind meeting mind to transmit ideas, concepts, and attitudes that may be damaging. <clears throat> it's so often when we get our heads together <clears throat> with someone else, excuse me, who may not necessarily have the mind of Christ, that we can come away with concepts that are not Christian. Our thoughts, our ideas, our emotions, our choices, our impulses, drives, and desires are all shaped and molded through the exposure of our minds to other people's minds. In our modern area, era, modern time of mass communication, the danger of the mass mind grows increasingly grave. Young people in particular, whose minds are, are so formable, so malleable, so to speak, find themselves being molded under the subtle pressures and impacts made on them by television, radio, magazines, newspaper, the internet, fellow classmates, not to mention their parents and their school teachers. And often it's the mass media that's largely responsible for shaping our minds because they are mostly in the control of, of people whose character is not Christ-like. And it's a lot of cases are actually anti-Christian. One cannot be exposed to such contacts without coming away contaminated. The thought patterns of people are becoming increasingly strange. Today we find more tendency to violence, hatred, prejudice, greed, cynicism, and increasing disrespect for that which is noble, fine, pure, or beautiful. And that's precisely the opposite of what Scripture teaches us. In Philippians 4.8, we're instructed emphatically, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now here again, the only possible practical path to attaining such a mind that's free of the world's contamination is to be conscious daily, even hourly, of the purging presence of God's Holy Spirit and applying Him to my mind. And there are those who seem unable to realize His control of their minds and thoughts. It's a simple matter of faith and acceptance. Just as one asks Christ to come into the life initially to assure complete control of one's conduct, so one invites the Holy Spirit to come into one's conscious and subconscious mind to monitor one's thought life. Just as by faith we believe and know and accept and thank Christ for coming into our lives, just so by simple faith and confidence in that same Christ, we believe and know and accept with thanks the coming or the anointing of his Holy Spirit upon our minds. Once we've done this, we simply proceed to live and act as think as Jesus and the Holy Spirit directs us to think and act. But the difficulty is that some of us are not deadly serious when it comes to actually doing it. Like a stubborn sheep will struggle, kick, and protest when Jesus puts, or the Holy Spirit puts his hand upon us for this purpose. 
even if it is for our own good, we still rebel. We refuse to have him help us when we desperately need his help. In a sense, we're a stiff-necked bunch of, bunch, bunch of people. And were it not for Christ's continuing compassion and concern for us, most of us would be beyond hope or help. Sometimes I'm quite sure Christ comes to us and applies the oil of his own spirit to our minds in spite of our own objections. Were this not so, where would most of us be? Every, you know, every gracious thought that enters my mind had its origin in Jesus. But then, back to the sheep, uh, as summer in the high country moves gradually toward autumn, subtle changes occur both in the countryside and in the sheep. The nights begin to come, become cooler. Then you see the first touches of frost. Insects begin to disappear and are less of a pest. The foliage on the hills turns to crimson, gold, and bronze. Mist and rain begins to fall as the earth prepares for winter. And the sheep, you also see subtle changes. Season of the rut, of mating, of great battles between the rams for possession of the ewes. The necks of the monarchs swell and they grow strong and they strut proudly across the pastures and fight fiercely for the favors of the ooze. Use. I'm sorry, I, it's hard for me to pronounce that word for a female sheep. Now the crash of the heads and the, the thud of colliding bodies of these males fighting can be heard through the hours of day and night. Uh, now the shepherd knows all about this. He knows that some of the sheep can and will actually kill, injure, and maim each other in these combats. So he imposes a very simple remedy. At this season of the year, he's going to catch his rams and smear their heads with grease. Then when they collide in their battles, the lubricant makes them glance off each other in such a ludicrous way that they stand there feeling rather stupid and frustrating. And in this way, much of the heat and tension is dissipated and little damage is done to the sheep. Just so, amongst God's people, there's a considerable amount of knocking each other. Somehow, if we don't see eye to eye with the other person, we persist in trying to assert ourselves and we want to become the top sheep. And a good many people become badly bruised and hurt this way. Much of the grief, the wounds, and the hurts, the ill will, the unforgiven things in people's lives can usually be traced back to old rivalries, jealousies, or battles that were broken out between Christian believers. Scores of skeptical, skeptical souls will never enter a church simply because way back in their experience, somebody there battered them badly. Excuse me. To forestall and prevent this sort of thing from happening among his people, our shepherd loves to apply the precious ointment of the, pres of the presence of his Holy Spirit to our lives. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus, in dealing with his twelve disciples, who even then were caught up in jealous bickering and rivalry for prestige, he told of the coming of the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, Excuse me again. Because of his being sent to them, he said they would know peace. 
He went on to say that his people would be known everywhere for their love for one another. But <clears throat> too often, this simply is not true among God's own people. <clears throat> they hammer and knock each other. They're stiff-necked with pride, self-assertion, intolerant, dogmatic, and uncharitable with even other Christians. But when the Holy Spirit invades a man or woman, when he enters that life and is in control of the personality, then the attributes of peace, joy, long-suffering, and generosity become apparent. It is then that suddenly one becomes aware of how ridiculous all the petty jealousies, rivalries, and animosities are that formerly motivated their absurd assertions. That's to come to a place of great contentment in the shepherd's care. And it is then that the cup of contentment becomes real in life. As the children of God, as the sheep in the divine shepherd's care, we should be known as the most contented people on earth. A quiet, restful contentment should be the hallmark of those who call Christ their master. If he is the one who has all knowledge and wisdom and understanding of what I do and, and management, if he is able to cope with every situation, good or bad, that I encounter, then certainly I should be satisfied with his care. In a wonderful way, my cup, or my lotted life, is a happy one that overflows with benefits of all sorts. The trouble is that most of us just don't see it that way. Especially when troubles or disappointments come along, we're apt to feel forgotten by our shepherd. We act as though he has fallen down on the job, when actually he's never asleep, he's never lax or careless, he is never indifferent to our well-being, he always has our best interest in mind. And because of this, we are under obligation to be a thankful, grateful, appreciative pe people. The New Testament instructs us clearly to grasp the idea that the cup of our life is full and overflowing with good, with the life of Christ himself, and with the presence of his gracious spirit. And because of that, we should be joyous, grateful, and serene. This is the overcoming Christian life. It is a life in which a Christian can be content with whatever comes his way. Hebrews 13.5 Even trouble. Most of us are glad when things go well, but how many of us get, give thanks and praise when things go wrong? Now look at, look at again at around this time of year through which the sheep pass in the shepherd's care. You know, summer's moving into autumn. Storms of sleet and hail and early snow began to sweep over the high country. And pretty soon they're going to be driven from the tablelands. They'll turn again toward the home ranch for the long, quiet winter season. You know, those autumn days can be golden under Indian summer weather. The sheep have respite now from flies and insects and scab. No other season finds them so fit and well and strong. It's no wonder David wrote at the end of this verse, My cup overflows. But at the same time, unexpected blizzards can blow up, or sleet storms suddenly shroud the hills. The flock and their owner have to pass through them on their way down, even though they're 
they're suffering so they're suffering together and it's here that I grasp another aspect altogether of the meaning of a cup that overflows there is in every life a cup of suffering Jesus Christ referred to his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and at Calvary as his cup and had it not overflowed with his life poured out for men we would have perished in tending sheep, some shepherds carry a bottle containing a mixture of brandy and water. Whenever a lamb or a ewe is, or a sheep is chilled from too much exposure to wet, cold weather, they pour a few spoonfuls down its throat. And in a matter of minutes, the chilled creature gets back on its feet full of renewed energy. The important thing is to be there on time find the frozen chill sheep before it's too late to do that the shepherd has to be in the storm with them alert to everyone and alert to every one of the sheep as especially the young lambs that go through misery without the benefit of a full heavy fleece to protect them some lambs will lie down in distress only become more cramped and chilled now what a picture that is of Jesus sharing the wine, the very lifeblood of his own suffering from his overflowing cup that's poured out at Calvary for me. He is there with me in every storm. My shepherd is alert to every approaching disaster that threatens his people. He has been through the storms of suffering. He bore our sorrows and was acquainted with our grief. And now... No matter what storms I face, his very life and strength and vitality is poured into mine. It overflows, so the cup of my life runs over with his life, often with great blessing and benefit to others who see me stand up so well in the midst of trials and suffering. And that is verse 5. Thank you for listening. This has been the perfect puzzle. Father, I ask you as... The listeners go out into their lives that they take these words with them, Father, that they would apply them to their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.